Hey everyone, it's Tom Kratz. I hope you're enjoying the summer because we are, both of us are still in Canada. If you have uh, if you don't know, every year we go to Croatia for pretty much about a month. I'm going, my family's going a little bit less this year, combination of some kids stuff. I shouldn't say kids, my son, my older son's 17 now, but I guess it's still a kid. Kid? Is he a kid? Youth? Anyway, because of family stuff, we are coming uh, coming back a little earlier. And because of our, our new office, apparently we're getting the keys in mid-August. So I cut the trip a little short. And uh, this is a first world problem type of complaint. I'm a little bit bitter over only going for two and a half weeks. But Nick's going for longer. Um, but yeah, I'm totally bitter about this. But anyway, I'm going to enjoy the time. A lot of white wine. So listen, this podcast is about um, negative interest rates and how they can possibly be enabled in your everyday daily life. I feel like to live life on our terms, we need to all know this information so that this is our attempt to share some of the latest developments around negative interest rates with you. Who knows if they will come to fruition? Who knows if this will actually be like a thing in the economy, but it affects real estate prices. It affects your day-to-day savings. It is really important. And we feel that we all need to understand the rules of the money game, the way they exist, not the way we wish they were, but the way they actually are so that we can then win the game of money. So this is our attempt to share some of our own research with you. You can dismiss it and discount it. You can agree with it. We just want to encourage some thought around this stuff. If you have any feedback around this stuff, please always share it. We find that kind of fascinating. And listen, some of the data points that you're about to hear, we put out in some different reports. We have a new page on one of our website uh, websites called rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports, where we have four different reports on there. The first one and the newest one is Ontario's population explosion. The untold story, how Ontario's population trends are creating amazing opportunities for savvy real estate investors. And what we've done in here is we've collected a lot of the data points that we use ourselves and put them in here. A lot of the stuff is from the uh, government of Ontario's website. Some is from Stats Canada. um, Some is from different sources. But in there, you can collect some of the information for yourself. We've put links to different reports in there. And then we've also coupled that with some Go Train and Metrolinx expansion plans. And the reason that we have that in there is we feel like over the next 10 years, it's always been important to be close to transportation routes, but it's going to be even more important to be next to some rail um, transportation in the future because of the traffic situation in this area. So if you're going to make some investments, that's a little bit of a treasure map for all of us. So subway, light rail, go. So that is Ontario's population explosion. And then we have three other reports on there. We have a roadmap to $235,000 of yearly income by investing in local real estate. This is a story of a Mississauga investor that we worked with and still work with. Um, we also have another one, does paying for your kids' education really makes sense. And this this isn't an anti-education report. This is just a thought experiment that we had. When, and we said, hey, what if you just like took the money that you would spend on university and bought like a rental property? You know, who comes out ahead? Somebody who gets a, a an average kind of income in Canada and, and then that appreciates at a certain rate or the person with the rental property. It was really just a thought experiment. I want to be clear. We are not anti-education we are pro-education. This was just a bit of a thought experiment. We had some fun with it. So that report's there and some charts. I think you'll be shocked when you see some of that stuff. Um, and then we have a report called The Destruction of the Middle Class, Why Less Canadians Can Afford Homes and It's Only Getting Worse. And what we did in this one is we mapped out income levels, according to Stats Canada data, against the Toronto Real Estate Board's housing prices. And when you see some of this stuff, it's actually shocking. And we extrapolated this out to the year 2055. So when you see see some of the trends in this chart form, it really is a little bit shocking. So you can get all these reports at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. 
Hopefully you enjoy this chit chat between Nick and myself. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live. Nick, and I, I can hear you. Are you sure oh, you can hear me? I beat you to it. You can hear me? Okay. We are uh, we are live. Listen, we're going to try and do the impossible because we're going to make sense of the whole entire economy right now and how it affects Canada. So hold on to your seats because this is going to get crazy. Wait till you hear some of this stuff. So I want to start with uh, just the state of the economy. I guess you can't even make sense of it with all the different headlines. Nick and I were just chatting. One economist has now come out and said in the fall in Canada, we aren't going to see more rate increases like we had initially expected like a year ago that it would be another year of rate increases that he's thinking, it's a Yahoo Finance article, and he thinks there's going to be a rate cut by the Bank of Canada and then like one or two more shortly afterwards. So we're like in this weird era where we thought rates might go up a little higher than when I say that, I said the media thought rates would go up higher. I don't think you and I thought rates were going to go up like much higher because we kept just pointing to the math and saying how this wasn't going to work. Yeah, and if they went higher, you know, when everyone was talking about rate increases, they were talking about such small increases over such a long period of time that it almost seemed like they were, they yeah, were negligible. Like jo- it was almost like a joke. You're like, yes, your rates are going to go higher, but we're talking about one point over a year. And yeah, that's the- even that, even that, which almost like never happened. And they were threatening it. So they were threatening it for six years before it happened. That it's really one point over seven years. Like it was yeah. weird, you know? So I don't know. But, but, um, so there wasn't that, that we didn't feel there was that risk there in any major things unless there was like a black swan event but we didn't totally which right, would that's be, different that's that, that changes everything yeah and rates could jump up on that yeah so. but but uh with all the other indicators i mean it's it's been tough to kind of see that and then i i, I mean i know you have a few things but i, I there's this can go Nick, so many uh, different directions things. i'm yeah, armed yeah. with material here. yeah i just had to laugh like look we were just talking about jim rickard's book because he wrote it now when was uh 2010 Currency Wars? i think was it 2010 Wars. yeah and it's been fairly like I mean it hasn't been right on and the timing and all that stuff's been off but I mean it's been fairly accurate when I so when I saw Trump's tweet which was I don't know a couple of days yesterday a couple of days ago whenever it was that came out and he just started talking about what the Europe uh, the European Union is doing with their monetary policy and what China's doing and he's like look why aren't we you know they're they're manipulating the currency why aren't we manipulating our currency too I just had to laugh because it's just it, it was along the same lines of what you know, we the, the different types of stuff that we research and reading of how these things go, um, currency wars and other things, um, 10 years ago, right? And it's just funny to see it kind of in real life playing out in definitely more slow motion than maybe like you think it, when you're reading about it and researching it, you're like, oh my God, this stuff's gonna happen and this and this. So it's happening more slow motion, but, but man, it's been, it's been interesting. Like yeah, the best analogy I hear is that the economy is currently like a slow motion car crash, that the car is spinning out of control on ice and yeah. spinning around and around, but Just hasn't, hasn't hit, hit the guardrail yeah, yet. Yeah. I think that's another one of James Rickard's uh, analogies. And I'm like, that's a pretty good one because we it does feel like the economy is spinning out of control. But... Having said all this, I just want to make sure everyone's clear. If this is the first time you're listening to us, we both Nick and I are positive people. Like we think there's oh, yeah. opportunities in all of this. We just want to understand it. Yeah. So you can play within the kind of framework of the game and the rules of the game because they're always changing. So that's why we want to understand it. Because look, to be to be fair, we were 
kind of blindsided in what was it? Oh seven. When were we down? Our in family's Florida? been blindsided many well, times. Well, that but yeah, yeah, 07. yeah. I was too young to kind yeah, of really oh, understand that. But it was oh, 07, 07 when I was like, when everything kind of everything went off the cliff, and we were down. We were in Florida, and we saw the Americans were just you know fear on their faces, and. And we literally do. I just want to explain that point. We were in a small mastermind group of, of, of probably about 15 really good real estate investors and business owners. And the f- look on their faces, Nick, remember when we went back up to our room? And I'm like, hey, I'm going to sell some of my stock because I still had some stock back then. I'm like, hey, I'm going to sell some of my stock right now. And, and then the stock market did crash like six months later because yeah. the look on yeah, their yeah, faces yeah. was just they were petrified. So um, something that we so for context here, I just want something that we reference all the time is that the economic system as it is, we need to understand it if we're going to profit from it. So something that we are very aware of are the different bankers when they speak, because these guys and girls are like the leaders of the parade. Whatever they say kind of dictates whatever whatever else is happening. And for some context around that, the chief banker in the world right now is probably the International Monetary Fund. They are the bank. They are like the central bank to central banks. And there's other entities like that um, that come to mind, BIS is one of them, but but the International Monetary Fund is like the central bank to central banks. So it's like if the Bank of Canada and the U- U.S. Federal Reserve get into some kind of trouble, it's the IMF who would kind of like step in and, and help them out in some capacity. So when, whenever they speak, we pay a lot of attention because it affects our real estate and we'll bring it all home. But here's what's going on, just so you know. In Um, August of 2018, the International Monetary Fund came out with this weird white paper that said monetary policy with negative interest rates, decoupling cash from electronic money. And that kind of caught our our attention because it was like, you know, it was really starting to outline beyond um, just the idea of negative interest rates. It was starting to outline like a framework for how negative interest rates could actually work. So that was in August of 2018. And then in April of 2019, this year, comes out this white paper that goes much deeper and it's called Enabling Deep Negative Rates to Fight Recessions, A Guide. And this one, if you have the guts to print this sucker off and go through it, there's a couple points here that just are outstanding, like just kind of blow me away. There's one chart, Nick, I'm going to try and describe this chart. So you just, I know this is kind of absolutely ridiculous, but they have this one chart that basically outlines all the different ways that they can introduce negative um, interest rates. And they have titles like depreciating cash and negative dividend on cash and different ways to kind of do it. And they have all different well, white papers. Before you dive into more stuff, because I mean, uh, I think it, it, you should probably kind of explain what negative, because I don't even think pe- most people have been exposed to them. They don't even understand what the impact would be or what they are. So you're talking about negative inf- interest rates, but you're not giving the basic information. Like, okay, what the hell are these negative in- interest rate things? And how does that kind of impact stuff? So let me, I'm going to read this out and hope, because I don't know how they're going to implement it either. So I'm going to read this okay. stuff out and then let's see if that answers, because I think they're trying to explain how they're going to do it. Because yeah. no one... Well, it's not how they're going to do it, but what the impact is, because it has been done in other places in some in some little facets of it, like what a negative interest rate is. Yeah. Yeah, right, because no, no, there were some right, bonds. So, so, like, for anyone listening, right? There's some bonds that have been done. Some bonds are like a, a loan to the government from someone that were done with negative interest rates yeah. in different countries in Europe, and it was what ten-year bonds. Was it ten-year? I forget. Yeah, but, I think they have some shorter ones even. So okay, right now. but it was bonds. So basically, you're giving. So like, like you know, a, a government of Canada bond. I don't know what it pays right now, but I, I, I mean, one percent maybe or something. So you give it, and in ten, you're getting this one percent interest rate. 
over your uh, on your money. A negative interest rate is essentially saying, hey, look, we're actually not you're not going to earn any money on the loan to the government, but we're guaranteeing that you're going to get your money back. You're just going to get less of it back. But it's safe with us because we're going to give it back to you. So you're actually getting less money. So you're actually losing money uh, with the negative interest rate. You get back less. You're earning yeah, you're earning negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. and it's basically a, a pension fund that might look at it and say, okay, you know what, in this environment, I'd rather have the guarantee of knowing I'm only going to lose this much money because what I see is so crap out there that I actually think that's attractive. Yeah, as I ridiculous think as that sounds. You have a friend that's a hedge fund manager. Was it him or someone else that said, the, the quote I think I remember was, they're more focused on the return of capital rather than the return on capital. Yeah, right, it was right now, yeah, else, it, was, right? it was that particular guy. And right now that's the thing that they were concerned with. They wanted the return of their capital. Yeah. They weren't returned. At that time, at yeah. that time, right? Yeah, so now, so there, that exists and that's a classic kind of negative interest rate. What's What these white papers are starting to describe now are how they're going to possibly take negative interest rates right through the economy. So beyond offering a negative interest rate on a bond, how you and I, the the guys that are using our money at the banking level day to day, how they're going to hit us with negative interest rates. So this is this white paper, and I have to read a couple of these sentences out and, 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 and stick with me because after I read them, we're going to talk about them a little bit. But you got to hear how this white paper from the IMF that came out in April um, breaks down some of this stuff. So here, here we go. It says, relying on banks for transmission of negative rate of return on paper currency reduces the implementation burden and political cost associated with negative rates. So what they're saying there is basically that it's a kind of like a good thing to have the banks do the dirty business of offering negative interest rates to the daily consumer because it reduces the political cost or burden to the central banks. Okay, so now stick with me. When working through the banks, anything that would be a political problem for the central bank becomes a customer relationship management problem for the commercial banks. Commercial banks are likely to be better and more experienced in dealing with customer relationship problems, even those with a new twist, than central banks are at dealing with grassroots political problems. What they're basically saying here yeah, I is, love that. is that they know there's going to be a massive backlash when they push out negative rates into any economy, and they are pretty shit at dealing with customer relationship problems. So if we use the banking infrastructure as the mechanism, and I'll describe the mechanism they're talking about in a second, to roll out negative interest rates, it's probably easier on everybody. Is, is what they're what they're saying. So I, this is amazing. So then then they go on. It says after minimalist implementation, the central bank can leave the rest up to the private sector. So they're basically saying, yeah, we can kind of decide that you know these negative rates are a good idea, and we'll just tell the banks, yep, figure it out. And then it says one key aspect of bank transmission approaches is that the less the central bank does, and the more is done by commercial banks the less new legislation is likely to be needed. What, what they're basically saying here is that if they make negative interest rates just a function of the banking system, no new laws have to be passed for any of this stuff to actually happen. The central banks can just use the existing banking system to put this into play. Now stick with me. The proposal is for a central bank to divide the monetary base into two separate local currencies, cash, and electronic money. 
So they're thinking, okay, we're gonna have two things, the cash in our pockets and electronic money. So now in this guide, they're really getting to the nitty gritty of how they're gonna do negative interest rates, not just- And they don't, when they say electronic money, they don't mean Bitcoin and those no, types of things. No, they just mean money in your bank account. Yeah, because everything's like, de- you know, you use your debit card and Visa and that type of stuff. Yeah. So that, that, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. So then they say, to illustrate, so here's where they're getting down to the, to the actual example. Suppose your bank announced a negative 3% interest rate on your bank deposit of $100 today. So first of all, that would be crap. But let's say they did that. So it, now it goes on. It says, suppose all also that the central bank announced that cash dollars would now become a separate currency that would depreciate against e-dollars by 3% a year. The conversion rate of cash dollars into e-dollars would hence change from 1 to 0.97 over the year. I want to pause here for a second. Basically, what they're saying is that what they would tell everybody is like, hey, if you don't keep your cash in the banking system, if you ever want to put it back into the banking system, you're going to have to take this new depreciated value and screw you. <laughs> I feel yeah. like the bank just gave, gave yeah. everyone the middle finger. Well, look, finger. it's very easy for them to do because they'll just say, hey, like there's costs associated. We got to print it. We got to manage what's in circulation. There's these costs associated. So here's what is going to happen. I mean, it's it's it's, it's amazing. Like it, it seems crazy, but it's not inconceivable at all. At all. It well, actually doesn't seem and the fact that even they, mildly unrealistic. No. And so there's this last little part I'm just going to read out. It says, after a year, there would be 97 e-dollars left in your bank account. If you instead took out 100 cash dollars today and kept it safe at home for a year, exchanging it into e-money after that year, it would also yield 97 e-dollars. So they're, they're basically saying, like, if you take your money and hide it at home under the mattress, screw you, because if you're ever bringing it back into the financial system to pay a bill online or to send money to your brother on the other side of the country... We are going to depreciate it down. I don't know how they'd ever implement something like that because how do you know that's what they took out? You know, there's a lot of of factors to that, but it's... It would just be a... I think it would just be a cash dollar exchange rate and saying... Yeah, but how do you know if you took the the, the 100 bucks out in in January or December? It doesn't matter. The exchange rate just kicks in. So it would be like, okay, the exchange rate for cash to e-dollars now is this. And they just announce it. Just like an exchange rate between the euro and yeah. the Canadian dollars. Like, <laughs> and we would all have to eat it. We would all just eat it and say, holy shit, are they going to change the cash to e-dollar exchange rate? So they're basically forcing everyone. Remember, this is the International Monetary Fund. This isn't like some weird bank. This is the bank of Yeah, banks. they're starting to outline a blueprint <laughs> if they need it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then now, today, this is, this is awesome because the Wall Street Journal has this article by the head of the IMF who apparently she's going to be nominated to head the ECB, the European Central Bank, soon. But anyway, she's currently the head of the IMF, and her name's Christine Lagarde. And the headline goes, Negative Interest Rates Benefit the Global Economy. And then when I saw that headline in the Wall Street Journal, I'm like, what are you talking about? Negative interest rates benefit. And you got to listen to some of these uh, sentences in here because it's, 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 it's almost too good to be true. It says, sub-zero interest rates in Europe and Japan are net positives for the global economy. International Monetary Fund Chief Christine Lagarde said on Tuesday. Now, listen, listen to this. We, uh, it, 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 talks about, it talks about the economy. She says, we are on alert, not alarm on the outlook for the global economy. So she's basically saying, like, she doesn't like what she sees and they're on alert, but they're not on alarm. Like the way some of these bankers talk is just it's so political. It just makes me laugh. But the reason they're on alert, not alarm, is that she pointed to a loss of growth momentum over the past six months. 
exasperated by China's relative slowdown, lower commodity prices, and prospect of financial tightening for many countries. And then she goes on, she said, she said that economic sentiment had been bolstered by fresh stimulus from the ECB last month and by apparent shift toward a slower pace of rate increases by the Fed. So she's basically saying, Way to go, European Central Bank. You did a fresh round of stimulus, which is basically... Yeah, she's always come out for more stimulus, lower rates and so, stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. She's and applauding been... it. And then and listen to this. It says, we see the recent introduction of negative interest rates by the ECB and the Bank of Japan, though not without side effects that warrant vigilance as net positives in the current circumstances. So she basically... I just want to repeat this. She goes... We see the recent introduction of negative rates by the ECP in Japan, though not without side effects that warrant vigilance, as net positives. She's like, it's like, what is she? She's basically saying, yeah, like this has, I want to ask her, like if she was sitting right here, I'd say exactly what are the, because I think I know what the net, uh, the the side effects are. Um, But she, the net positives are, I guess, that the economy just keeps growing. And I'm going to explain this in a second. So a couple more sentences. The Mario Draghi, the head of the ECB, announced cuts to all banks' main interest rates last month. So that, that he, 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 uh, he did. And then she goes, I would like to commend President Draghi and the ECB for steps it has taken to improve confidence in financial conditions. All they did was cut rates, and she's saying, yeah, way to go. You're improving confidence. Check this out. She goes, the U.S., she said, could bo- boost its labor supply by expanding the earned income tax credit. So give more tax credits on, in- on earned income, increasing the federal minimum wage, and strengthening family-friendly benefits. And this, I think, is something over the next five and ten years we're going to see a lot, this whole minimum wage talk. And I think it's beautiful because it flies under the radar because a lot of governments can get behind it because it looks like you're helping the masses when you increase minimum wage. Because everyone, it's hard to fight against it because as property prices go up, and stuff like that no one can afford anything anymore so everyone's saying hey we should increase minimum wage and you look like the hero the the problem with increasing minimum wage is you're you're forcing inflation into the economy more money starts flying around into the economy artificially typically and what that does is it pushes the prices up for everything even further and no one gets a net benefit of that but the last thing i'll say is that in this article it says in the euro area governments should improve training and job matching help people find jobs, particularly the young. And she also called for greater investment in infrastructure and innovation. So basically everything, help on education, help people get jobs, help people with training, help infrastructure and help innovation. You know what you didn't say? Nothing about cuts. Nothing about, we're already collecting trillions of dollars in taxes across the world in different countries. Why don't we try to spend that money a little bit better? Why don't we try to control our debt? Why don't we try to have a little fiscal responsibility? Everything is about spending more. And the reason for that is the only arm a government has to make its debt burden look less over time is through growth. You have to grow the economy. And because they don't create jobs in and of themselves, the only way they get that growth is through inflation. And the only way they can get inflation is to push out more money into the economy. So the whole thing, it's like the problems that they are trying to solve are, or what they say they're trying to solve are actually going to create bigger problems. Because when you push out more money, it's going to drive up the value of hard assets. If yeah, I mean, well, if history is any indication, that's what's going to happen. That it's just it's just going to blow eventually, right? I, but, it's but. it's like a disaster situation. So in Canada, we're here in this weird situation where we have like the two biggest inputs of of gross domestic product or GDP are typically labor and capital. And then through that, a lot of people will talk about productivity. How much can you get out of that labor and capital? Think of Ontario right now specifically, where a lot of Canadian real estate investors play. We have 
growing labor force because of the massive population explosion that is going on. And we have capital coming in to the economy here because of low interest rates. So we have this weird situation right here in Ontario where we have a population growing faster than maybe anywhere else in North America. And not even maybe. It, it we kind of we know, we it, know it is. It, I mean, it depends on what exactly yeah, looks, area you look at. And, and the length of, of time, because Dallas-Fort Worth area looks like it did take in a lot of people, but, but Toronto proper. City, yeah. yeah, so, but I mean, it's, you We're know, up if there. not the, it's one of the, you know, yeah. Exactly. So we have this massive population growth at a time where the Bank of Canada here has to mirror whatever the U.S. does, which is like low rates. And so we have an environment where like, what's going to happen here? It could be kind of good, I would think, for the economy as a whole, but it can also be a little bit bad because it's going to drive property prices to the moon. So that's good for investors who already have property. But for people who want to buy property, these things kind of now are making the problem, all these policies are making the problem worse. And what happens when you try to, I'm just trying to think of that negative interest rate example, if they did change the exchange rate and say, hey, Nick, you know, I know you got $10,000 hidden somewhere in your shoe. Um, when you bring it to the bank, you're only going to get this much back. That basically negative interest rates. I'm just trying to think what that's going to do to property prices. Negative interest rates. Well, if it's on the cash, it doesn't really impact much at all. No, but right? I mean, it's, but if just, it's it's if it's on anything else, then again, it just like it's done with other hard assets. Hard assets become more, more valuable, valuable because you would think they would hold their value. It's either they're going to hold their value or if things start to a value start to adjust they're going to downwards let's say they'll adjust less that way right because you need actual if they're removing wealth out of the fictional wealth which is this electronic money because the money you have in the bank is just a number right so they're moving wealth that way when you have something to actually trade for that money it just becomes more valuable and it's going to or more valuable or will maintain its value better it's just like I mean, do you remember in Greece not long ago? When was that? Yeah, 2010 was, awesome. was that? Mm, yeah, I can't remember exactly. I feel 10? like it was 2014 or 15. was it that late? Yeah, I, I can't remember. But anyways, when when they were going through the stuff, they were taking their money and they were going and buying anything they could. Furniture. Were, yeah, for washing machine, like they were buying that type of stuff because they're like, ah, this this I, this money are... might not be worth anything, but the washing machine is still gonna the washing machine yeah. out of all things is still gonna be worth worth something. They were also uh, interested in the return of their capital. Just like we were talking yeah, earlier. Yep. That's funny. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're going to run around in the streets looking to buy washing machines and furniture to save, save our capital. There's, there's this one other point I want to share in all this kind of situation and what these banking policies have created. Nick, do you remember this chart where we were talking about like how much the share of the middle class has of the total U.S. kind of wealth? There's this awesome chart that we dug up and... Um, it's from the, the data is coming from the Federal Reserve in the U.S. And it is U.S. data, but I think it applies kind of to, to all of us here in North America. But in 1989, so back in 1989, the top um, 10% controlled about, let me add this up, about uh, 60% of all the um, wealth in the U.S. So the top 10% controlled 60%. In 2018, the top... Um, 10% controlled 70%. So all these banking policy, so they controlled 70% of all the wealth in the US. So what these banking policies are doing is that people who, to me, own assets, whether it's properties, businesses, things like that, your own home would be thrown in there. I guess we can all argue whether your own home's an asset or not and all that kind of stuff. We don't want to get Robert Kiyosaki on here. He'll just like whip us for even saying that. But uh, 
But basically, all these policies are just pushing more and more of the wealth in the world to the people who own things. Like, to Nick, to your point about, like, with these policies, if you own, it's going to make assets worth more. So, like, all these weird, crazy policies are just making the people who have things worth more and I think sometimes that's why we talk about real estate so much not because even we're the you know we always say we're not like the biggest real estate fans it just happens to be that real estate is one of those vehicles that protects you against all of these financial policies that are going on well the example that we've used in the past I know I've used it I'm pretty sure you've used it as well yes you've used it for sure it's you know think about you know whatever your 10 or 20 closest friends and you know if you divide them into and think about 10 and this could be true or just kind of make it fictitious but it, think about the 10 if they owned any hard assets over the last 10 years and think about the 10 that didn't own any assets doesn't even have to be hard assets let's say any assets over the last 10 years which one is further ahead drastically further ahead compared to the other right and it doesn't have to be real estate because of what's happened with this kind of artificial monetary policy where they've printed all this money and flushed it into the economy and then it's just raced to any asset classes to try to protect its its value um it's it's stock markets it's real estate markets it's you know and there's been fluctuations in in individual pockets of real estate and stocks but globally there's never been a time when so many different asset classes have had such increases over the same period of time it's never ever happened before and it's because of the monetary policy so anyone that's in that game and owns assets has has finished further ahead and anyone that doesn't own the assets is 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 falling further and further behind like it's it's the reality of of it it does it's kind of sad but it's, it's true, and that's kind of what happened. At no other time in history was there such coordinated money printing globally as there was after the 2000, uh, right around the 2008 financial crisis and afterwards. No other time in history. In the past, it was like one central bank needed to stimulate something so they would print some money, you know. But that wasn't the case this time. It was everyone got together and said, how the hell are we going to do this? And that's when the IMF, got, SDRs got involved even, and then all these banks lowered rates, started printing money. And, you know, they've they've really dug themselves a hole because they refuse to let any kind of shrinkage occur in the economy. And it's wrong. Like in, in, in our, the way the economy is structured, there's going to be kind of like ups and downs. But they refuse to let it come back down and then start a new foundation and grow from there. And they just create kind of like an artificial base off after artificial base. And I, I just, you know, when, when, when things don't end up that way, you know, for those of the people that, that just have nothing, you know, you know, if you have absolutely nothing, it's actually not too bad because you're going to lose nothing. Yeah, if you're living hand to mouth, you have nothing to lose. You make money, you spend it for what you need. There's yeah. nothing to lose. It's but that the people middle in class. the middle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, people in the middle are not because because any little good. bit of savings that you have, yeah, they get wiped out. If it's dollar denominated or e dollar denominated, whatever it is. Well, look at what's happened in pensioners in the last ten years, right? Because you have fixed pension. Ten years ago, what did it buy or what did it afford you? What kind of lifestyle? What could you? But properties, gas, car, like what could it, what could you afford with that versus now, right? It's drastically changed. Like any asset class, let's say you want to buy a little bit of stock to kind of further your investment with that. Well, I mean, you can buy a lot less than you could buy then. A little bit of property. Well, you can buy a lot less now than you could buy then. So anyone on the fixed income is falling further and further behind unless they own assets. And it's funny, it happens kind of like, it's like this slow process that seems to be speeding up. But it's this little process, so it's hard for most people to kind of detect it because most people, to be fair, are worried about their career. 
getting a good job, getting a promotion, dealing with the politics at work, fighting through all that stuff. Yeah, like, you got life is basically a shit crap fest. to deal with. Yeah, yeah, so you don't want to think about this stuff. Someone like me and you come along talking about, holy shit, watch about this guy. Well, because then a lot of people are like, <laughs> well, I don't care. It's, it's out of my control anyways, which, you know what? They're kind of right. Yeah, like, live like, your life. And they're not. Like, we have control if we band together. There's all this stuff, right? So it's not completely. So I, I understand where they're coming from, but, you know, that's, that's you know, fairly accurate. But, you know, if you understand these rules and you understand the game, then it's like, hey, you know, what steps can I take to win within those rules and that that in that game? Totally, right? because sometimes I find when some people will say, man, how are property prices going up? I don't even understand. Like, who can pay these prices for these properties? And I'm like, hey, listen, it's it's more that interest rates have come down so low that it's afforded people the ability to carry these mortgages and push the property prices up. And then when you have this population growth that like nobody is talking about, I find in Ontario and you mix that into it, it's just naturally going to push property prices even further. Now we're starting to see some um, talk of population and a housing crisis in this area. It's starting to come out a little bit. The data point that always blows me away is uh, is that one data point that discusses how Toronto, the GTA in 2016 census was 6.7 million people, and by 2041, so we're on we're on our path there, is going to be 9.7. It's a 43% increase. It's three million more people, and Toronto today is only 2.7 million. So basically, another Toronto's on its way here. So you mix in low interest rates with jobs, high tech. What do we have in Ontario? We have high tech jobs. We still have some manufacturing jobs, even though those seem to be getting less and less. If I see the headlines, I don't actually track manufacturing job numbers. That'd be an interesting thing to start tracking. But uh, high tech jobs, manufacturing jobs. We have uh, all the univers a chunk of universities here in uh, in Ontario. So we got to have this like pretty diverse economic base, mix in cheap money and population. And you just have these property prices that go up automatically. And people will look around 10 years from today and think, oh my gosh, I really want to understand property prices in 2019 were so low compared to 2029. I just don't get it. And then I feel like screaming from the top of the hills, like saying, oh my gosh, we're all getting screwed. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not just, I mean, the property prices, it's the no, every a loaf cost of, of bread. And, yeah, yeah. No, I exactly. mean, look, when you get Halloween candy, you know, you're, the, the, the size of the Halloween candy, because it's not just prices, right? You're getting less for your dollar. I'm convinced toilet paper. I convinced the product manufacturers are putting less toilet paper on those I rolls. Be, I believe I, I don't know, but I believe it. But it's, it, but it's happening kidding. everywhere. It's happening yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Like if you you know look at the Halloween candy. Like soon enough, you're, you're gonna the, the, there's no the, candy. It'll the just little be the wrapper. Well, the Kit Kat isn't gonna have two sticks. Two, before it used to be like almost a full size yeah, bar, yeah. but like two sticks. Then those got smaller and smaller. Now it's now the tiny. packaging. Now it's gonna be one. The stick. packaging still stays a little bit big, but oh, yeah. inside. Well, potato chips. I mean, the size of the bag hasn't yeah, changed, yeah. but there's yeah. less in it. I mean, that's inflation. That's at one food point, are we gonna get M and M's? But it'll just be one, so it'll be M and M. Yeah, one package with one. <laughs> but I mean, it's not like it's you know we joke about it, but it's it's here, not what's it's 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 what's happening. Yeah, it's not here, far away. Here's the thing that sometimes frustrates me, and I don't know if this is fair or not, but I feel like as in in Canadian society right now, we still talk about like. High schools, we are pro-education. Before I say anything further, I want to explain that we're pro, both Nick and I are pro-education. We've spent more money in our education actually after formal education than we did during that formal education. So we're pro-education. But I feel like in society, we have all these things like high school prep courses and colleges and university and postgraduate degrees and certificate programs and specialty certifications and tutors and awards and all that kind of stuff. So we're encouraging people to kind of like get careers 
And I find that very valuable. We're training people, we're educating people. The training might be somewhat off and not completely applicable into today's economy, but we are doing our best in the education system to train people. What I find is missing is that message of take whatever income you begin earning and quickly buy assets as soon as possible because it's the assets that are gonna carry you through and allow you to live life on your terms the way you wanna live it. Because until to this day, I have literally met no one that through income alone is truly living the life financially that they want to, to live. Usually, if they are in a high paying career, it is some form of equity sharing through stock options or something that they've been able to do that. Everyone else I know who's living life on their terms has created a, a business to build their equity or a real estate portfolio to build their equity. So my message would be to the education system, yeah, let's educate people, absolutely. But when they get those incomes, turn that income into assets as soon as, soon as humanly possible. And you don't have to go into real estate. You could start a side hustle, a little business on the side and grow it. But that's kind of the missing co component of all of this. And there's something else that I think I initially, when we started studying this stuff, Nick, I, I felt like it was almost like a conspiracy theory trying to figure some of this stuff out. But then when you read enough history and economic history specifically, you realize that every period of 100, 150 years, there is a currency kind of changeover. Like Portugal was the reserve currency in the world from about the late 1400s to like 1500. Then it was Spain, then it was the Netherlands, then it was France. Britain was fairly recent, so some people will understand that the British pound was the reserve currency in the world. And then it became the American dollar specifically. That started transitioning kind of from the end of uh, the Great Depression to the Bretton Woods Act, 1944, end of the, uh, the World War II. And we've been in this US system since then. So it's pretty natural for there to be changes in the monetary policy. Like this isn't like something that is abnormal. It's just when you look at small pieces of time, like 10 or 20 years, you think that things are going a little haywire when really this is normal. Every, every chunk of time, 100, 150 years, there's a, a bit of a big changeover. Maybe our next one's e-dollars. Maybe that's going to be, the, be. this e-dollar thing. Someone's got to control it. Can you imagine me and you going to the bank with a hundred bucks and someone at the bank saying, yeah, great, Nick, for your hundred dollars, I'm going to give you 95 e-dollars. I think, I feel like you would throw a punch. Across you know what? The most thing. of the, now they, a few of them there know me and there's always like, I think they're, they're always like uptight when I get there. Cause they don't know what I'm going to be upset about now. Not upset, but just like, I, like I'm just flabbergasted now by some of their policies. They tell me something. I'm like, are you really are you like, are you kidding me? Is that really the way it works? <laughs> Um, hey, I looked up these manufacturing numbers. So uh, it looks like Canada lost about five from this graph here. They lost about 500,000 manufacturing jobs from about 2.3 to just over one point, so to, uh, to under 1.8. So just over 500,000 manufacturing jobs from about 2000. I'm just looking at this graph, maybe 2005 to 2008 or 9 or 10. And it hasn't really recovered. It dropped a little bit further and then it kind of just kind of inched up, but it looks like that it, that, that sector got hammered at that time of- uh, And sorry, what, what over what time. period of time is that? It's over a few years. It's over about four or five years, but that's from, again, about 2005, 2010. I mean, it, I'm just looking at the graph, so I can't tell the exact years, but if you look at that, I don't know why it got hammered so bad. It had a large run up before that, but then it's kind of just hovered, you know, hasn't really grown since then. This chart's going to about 2017, so there might've been some growth since then. Does it say it's anything come down. in there? Not really. Well, you gotta take it with a grain of salt, right? The source here is StatsCan and uh, Turner Investments, and um, 
if you know uh, Garth Turner, he's been calling for the end of the world economically in Since Canada about for yeah. yeah. So he's going to be right. I mean, I he's been on it for twenty his years. Intentions have been his good. intentions actually is, is is accurate, and I get where he's coming from. Um, yeah, so you know, do we. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I don't actually disagree with some of the stuff he says, but I think some of the things, in my opinion, he's are being said in a vacuum without looking at some of the greater kind of trends that are kind of well, offsetting that, that, some of that. That's stuff, the right? biggest thing when I hear people talk about demographics and stuff like that. I'm like, some sometimes you have to marry a change in demographics that might affect an economy with things like massive monetary policy changes like quantitative easing and interest rates and now the next phase might be negative interest rates if we can even get our head around that that might actually ever happen I, part of me thinks it can actually never happen like I, I i can't ever really feel like i can see that happening but when you, you have to make some of your predictions based off global monetary policy because the global monetary policy can trump a smaller trend. Yeah. Like that's the big... I agree. It's funny. I was just writing about that in, in for something, the, the, an article that I was writing and, you know, because the government's kept making all these policy changes. It's, it's really funny, right, with what they did in the housing market because they wanted to spur the housing market. So they're like, okay, let's kind of get this thing going. So what they did is they made, they changed the mortgage programs available. They, they lowered down payment requirements. They increased amortization. They did all these things. And then they're like, oh, damn, we kind of overshot let's let's kind of remove that because we've got to slow the housing market down so let's shorten amortizations we'll increase down payments we'll 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 remove some of the programs that are available alter other ones but by that time what had happened is there's these big trends there was these immigration trends and then there was this easy monetary policy trend that they couldn't fight like so the policies they were doing to try to change some things that kind of really would impact local markets even though they were across the board the, the impact is more locally there's these big global trends that were like trumping that so they're like, we can't beat, you know, your little changes can't kind of overcome these big global trends that are just kind of, they're like, well, we don't care. Like they'll slow it down or adjust it for a little period of time. But then the, the, the kind of tsunami wave just takes over again and you can't do anything about it. And, you know, to the point where they've now, they kept doing, then they went with more, they're like, oh damn, we got to do something. So it's like more, they, first they made some changes to mortgage qualification. Then they did the mortgage stress test. Now CMHC is, is trying to be like, okay, well, these people can't afford things, but we're trying to make certain people afford things. So we're just going to, we're going to own part of their home. So they're trying to like battle these global trends. And it's just not working. Like they can't do things that way, you know, and they're, 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 they're trying and it's just a little bit. And it's a bit frustrating misguided. to hear too, because I feel like you'll get votes that way. Like if you're a politician saying, yes, we should help the first time home buyer. And we oh, have totally. These people, yeah. But the, the, all the problems exist because the government can't not keep spending well, so like they're just addressing the symptom not the source of any of this yeah and so the last the last provincial election right a few months before kathleen Wynne came out and she put in the rent controls again remember she had the big announcement right. yeah, she yeah, like, we're yeah. gonna do all this for renters and looking at it like so it sounded great so if you didn't look kind of like a little bit in further detail it's like oh, okay this sounds kind of great you can help the renters but if you looked at it a little bit further deeper and you thought about the repercussions beyond the immediate change so like okay what house is going to impact things three five years down the line and we're already seeing it today and a lot of people were calling for it then and you know we, we were talking about it as well is like you know what this is kind of messing things up because it's really limiting supply and then now you're going to have these huge you know these these run-ups and rents and because of that because there's a lot of supply was taken off the market and it's what happened it's what's happened and since then rents have gone on like almost an 
all-time tear. Like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, like, they've increased, I think last year, rents in, in, in Toronto, at least, were, like, 11% increase. Like, these huge rental amounts. So that whole rent control thing really backfired in a big way because it took so much supply off the market that, that the, what was there, there was just couldn't serve the, the demand. So yeah, they, they, it's all about the, the impression on the outside in the short term with not, uh, often it seems like there's not that much thought put into like, hey, how is this really seriously going to impact things five years down the road? Because five years down the road won't get them the votes today. And I just think that's why sometimes they don't, or at least I, I got to give them like, there's got to be some reason. So I give them, no, I, I got to give them credit the, for the thinking that there's the a problem reason. because yeah. you're right. They just want to get voted today and you can't really blame anyone for that. Like you want to get voted today. Yeah, that's because, the system. Yeah. And if they do the things, if they do the right things for the long term, there's you short term, there's short term pain. More than five years of short term pain yeah. sometimes. So you won't. So no, one, so, so no one will do it. And then the next person comes in and they're just going to reverse it anyways, because that's how they got elected making those other promises. But like. You know, to make long-term changes in anything, there's some short-term pain, and it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Like, if you're just trying to quit smoking, well, you're going to go through some withdrawal symptoms. If you're trying to lose weight, well, you're going to either have to change your, your diet, which can sometimes be hard depending on what you're eating and the habits you've developed, or go to the gym, which a lot of people don't like. So there's, like, short-term pain for the long-term gain. Like, that's why that thing exists. But when it comes to politics and this type of thing, it's just, like, no one's willing to kind of do it. But I think it's kind of the right thing. The, the interest rate one is so interesting because to, to cool the housing market, it's pretty simple. You raise interest rates. But because, to Nick, to your earlier point that like they don't want to, the banking industry doesn't want higher interest rates. So they don't raise the interest rates. And in exchange for not raising the interest rates, then you have a real estate market that is out of control. So you have to start putting all these patchwork solutions like this first time home buyer incentive program that's coming out this fall. That, uh, that you were just kind of alluding to. So because you don't take this, you know, the proper fix, you get all these Band-Aid solutions. So now this fall, we're going to spend $1.2 billion that Canada does not have to increase our debt further, to make all the problems worse, but, in, but the money is going to be used to help people that couldn't afford to buy problem uh, properties because of the debt problem that existed that pushed up the, the property prices. Like the whole thing is a circular yeah. joke. Well, the debt problem that existed and also their monetary, their, their mortgage stress test that, that removed these people from the market too. Now they're trying to change something now else so that they can qualify. Yeah, like, like, oh, wait, maybe we removed too many people. So now like, let's get help this little segment, which I'm glad they're helping. Like I want the people that oh, are totally. trying to get into yeah, the market, yeah. like I want them to help. So it's not that, but it's just, it's just, the way that it's being done is just like, man, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a losing, without addressing the underlying causes, it's a losing battle. Yeah. And I, and I find that like, what is it? A 2% inflation a year, you, you the value of, uh, or the, the price of a property would double in 35, 36 years. If inflation goes up at 14%, what is that? Like 18, uh, sorry, at 4%, so not 2%, 4%, the properties double, um, every 18 years. So that means that if we have 4% inflation, if you just think that's possible over the next 18 years, expect all properties in all of Toronto to double, am I right on that? To double in 18 years? Hold on a second. <laughs> but while you're thinking about that here, I'll talk about another inflation. No, while you're doing I the calculation. Right. That's the crazy part. So go ahead, yeah. No, so the, my other calculation is very important because it's patio season and it's the summer. So if you end up, I'm gonna come back to 
your your, your accounting. So I'm going to no, come I'm back right. to this. No, it's, it's right. It's right. 18 years. Yeah, because compounded, that's what happens. Yes. So 18 yeah. years from now, all properties here at 4%, if it's if it's 4% consistently. Yeah, which is never going to happen no, consistently. And, and, and yeah, if there's yeah. a negative 6% year, that makes a big change in everything. Yeah. So I'm just saying if it was 4%, that means all property prices are going to double here in the next 18 years. Well, we've just seen- If it's seen, 8%, it's nine. Well, we've just seen in uh, most areas, property prices m- double or more in the last 11, right? In our area, let's say in the GT Golden Horseshoe, Greater Golden Horseshoe, right? Yeah, the large no, majority have. of yeah, prices yeah. Have, have, like in almost all areas, it's been 11 or less years where property prices have doubled. Is that right? Yeah, no, you're That's right. That's pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. I know on my, well, I did some renovations, so it doesn't count, but my property price doubled in way less than that. But I'm, I'm talking yeah, about because it never happens like evenly yeah, and perfectly yeah, yeah, yeah. and that kind but of But I mean, stuff, like yeah. in the last day, de- so like, you know, as a rough, as a kind of rough estimate, we can say in the last decade, so not 18 years, it's been, it's because of this monetary policy or because of whatever you want to say it's because of, but let's just say that that might've been some sort of contributing cause. It's the not 18, one. it's been 10. Yeah. And we've had a lot of demand increase because of population. Right. But, but yeah. Right. But yeah, so look, we got to go back. This is important to my patio story. Because I was thinking about the other day, this food inflation thing blows me away. Because I had someone tell me once, they're like, well, I don't see this inflation. When I go to the grocery store, I don't know, like, tomatoes are still roughly, like, my little container of cherry tomatoes that are imported from Mexico, they're still, you know, ah, there might not be whatever they were before, maybe 20 cents higher or something. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, though. Like, how many tomatoes are in that? Like, yeah, where, yeah that's what food, I would think, right? too. <laughs> so, because, so even when you go, so on patio season now, if you go to, like, the large majority of um, establishments, I'm a patio junkie. I love sitting on the patio. When you order a beer, which I don't any much anymore, but if you order a pint, it's no longer a pint in the large majority of places. Like they give you less beer in the glass. It still looks like a, a pint Why? glass, but it's actually not. Really? Yeah, they don't serve you pint. Just like, just like. Um, and so, but but it's sold as a pint. Well, it's not. So, it it's not. Of- no, it's not actually listed as a pint anymore. Most of the time, it's not listed as a pint, but everyone is used to calling it a pint. So they're just like, oh, I'll give you a, I'll have a pint of this, and they just bring you the, the glass of beer. Right, just like glasses of wine. Wine, yeah. Used some are be, five, five ounces now for not the smaller some, glass. Not almost all of them. That's crazy. Yeah, six and nine is now the exception. Five and eight is the norm for so like the small glasses five ounces, the big glasses five nine ounces. ounces. So like if you remove an ounce, it was six ounces. You remove an ounce. What's that? That's fifteen yeah, percent, right? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So it's a fifteen percent difference. The, the the actual cost has gone up too. Plus the cost has gone up, and you're getting fifteen percent less. Like these are these are, I know it's like relatively insignificant stuff. Like no, no one but compounded. Really care. This stuff kills you. Well, yeah, fifteen percent here. Plus the remember the plus the price increase. So 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 in the last five years, because that's probably the trend there. If if it's gone up ten percent in price and you've lost fifteen percent, you're talking like a twenty five percent difference in your food cost when you're going out there. Like it's a big difference, right? Like you said, if there's a few little less cherry tomatoes in the thing, like. Everything matters. We're going to have to start counting cherry tomatoes out of cans. No, it blew my mind. inflation. Well, it blew my mind when I, because I looked at the glass with the waitress. I'm like, oh, this is, is this a pint anymore? She's like, oh, no, we kind of stopped doing that. Like the, a lot of places, they don't have the line on the glass to mark the pint anymore. They just, it's just a fill line even sometimes now. It's, it's different. Yeah, got it. I don't drink beer. I haven't drink, had beer in a so long. I don't even know that's the, I'm, I'm surprised. But the wine stuff, I totally see. And yeah, it always well, it happens. Me it doesn't just happen with wine. I, I always look at it like five ounces. Are you really kidding, kidding me? Well, five ounces is like, I'm the, like the, way, the way you drink your white wine when you're, no, when no. you're like, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, two sips, two shots done. But I, I, I want to explain one thing because a lot of times um, so people will come up and say, well, you, you think interest rates will never go up and they're always going to be low. And I, I just want to be very clear on something. 
to Nick's point earlier when he said, I don't know the word, I forget the word you used, but if there's a black swan event, you said, if there is some kind of bond market panic, and what I mean by that is that the way interest rates are formed are, are there's two scenarios. There's the central banks decide the overnight lending rate, and that kind of dictates the variable rate that banks use to get your um, variable rate mortgages. But then if you have a fixed rate mortgage, it's not really the central banks deciding what uh, or, or influencing what the prime rate would be at the bank that dictates your variable rate mortgage. If you have a fixed rate mortgage, it's the bond market that is dictating interest rates. So if the bond market is really active and strong. So for example, if there's a lot of demand for bonds in the US and Canada and government bonds and that kind of stuff and the bond market um, is really strong, the interest rates or the returns um, on those bonds can be less because there's so much activity and so much demand and it drives down the five-year fixed rate. But if for whatever reason, and, and the US treasuries are some of the you know most sought after type bonds in the world because the U.S. taxpayer stands behind those. And the U.S. taxpayer, there are millions of them, and they're really trusted. It's the biggest economy in the world, so everybody thinks I'll ultimately get my money back because it's the U.S. taxpayer standing behind this stuff. But if for whatever reason there is a loss of faith in the bond market where people are like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to get my money back. Or inflation is going to be so high that it's not going to be my Nick, to your example earlier, but the negative interest rate over the 10 years isn't going to be like a little bit. It's going to be a lot. Forget it. And if people kind of rush out of the bond market, that would be a situation where even though I think the central banks would want low interest rates, there could be a period of time before they're able to act that interest rates might go like sky high, like really high. And that would be definitely a massive, massive problem in the financial world. So uh, there are situations where interest rates can go sky high. It's not that we're saying they can't. We, we're just saying that the central banking system and the financial system, the way it's set up right now, doesn't want them to go up. And when you have the heads of the International Monetary Fund, like Christine Lagarde, coming out and publicly saying that she wants lower rates and saying things like, we understand there are some side effects that warrant vigilance, but they are overall net positives. They're saying they want low interest rates. They're even saying that they want negative interest rates. This stuff is going to be around for a long time. And it's why property prices might not take 18 years to double again. Maybe it even happens to Nick to, to in your example, in the last 10 years or last decade, maybe it happens sooner again. Who knows? But I think the good news in all of this is that in in Canada, we are so fortunate where we live. It's a great country where we live. If you happen to live in the Golden Horseshoe area of, of Canada, it's actually an economic powerhouse. As an example, um, New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago together make up 17.6% of the GDP of the United States. Toronto on its own makes up 186 of Canada's. So I'm just trying to, to share that, like how much of the economic engine is driven straightly, straight out of Toronto. And if we live in the Golden Horseshoe, we're, uh, we're all benefiting that. Even if you're living in Southern Ontario, if basically almost all of Ontario is benefiting from that, but basic, uh, the Golden Horseshoe is for sure. And then if you know some of these policies and some of this stuff that's happening, you know, the way we always talk to everyone is that like, hey, if you know this stuff's happening, even if you don't like real estate, you can create equity for yourself in other ways. You can start a business on the side. Even if you have a beautiful career that you love, you can start a side hustle on the side and create equity out of a business that you create. We know 
Nick, we know multiple people with side build. Oh you and God. I both yeah, know multiple yeah. people with little yeah, businesses, absolutely. huge businesses. We know people who've sold one business and might sell another business. Like we know lots of people who've done this. You are, we're all capable of doing that kind of stuff. We just believe that that's the best way to protect ourselves, to have some equity, some sort of leverage. So if it's real estate, it might be creating a business. You've, you've likely heard Nick and I talk about like gold and silver uh, as well, because we believe that's an insurance policy against this, some of the, this, uh, this stuff that we're discussing. But there's, we are fortunate to be living where we're living because you can get good properties in a great economy and it can automatically protect you from some of these banking policies. So... Anyway, if you if you've heard all this stuff and you're like, holy crap, what the, what the heck are these guys talking about? There's definitely positives. Oh my we just, gosh, we just yeah, like yeah, to yeah. know the rule. We just like to know what's going on, and we're fascinated by fascinated by this negative interest rate stuff. Also, you know what? I just want to read off this international monetary um, fund document. It's called "Enabling Deep Negative Rates to Fight Recessions: A Guide." If you want this, what I'll do is after we get off this podcast here, I'll put this on my Twitter. Um, I'm just at Tom Karadza and uh, we'll just put a link out to this um, IMF paper. So if you want to read it for yourself and have your jaw drop to the floor as I did, um, that's uh, that or put you if you can't sleep, you can print this off and it'll definitely put you to sleep. There's also that as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, that's it, Nick. Anything else to add, or you wanted to? Share? I mean, there's so much stuff with this stuff. There's all real estate stats and things like that. We'll leave that for another day. But totally. I mean, I think over. I think that's uh, around this this stuff. I think it's kind of good with with the recent things that are happening. Just so you know, there's another. There's he, that that one economist that we were talking about that said um, the can he feels now Canada's going to be cutting rates in the fall with multiple cuts. There's actually a couple more that have followed. And oh really? Like later this year, they expect because the the Canadian dollar is starting to get too strong. They feel and they're and because the U.S. it looks like it might go into into like a weakening mode. That like Canada can't keep it; it's too strong for too that's long. The, so they're going to have to do the same thing. That's they, the weird part because these banks come out and basically say we need interest rate cuts of three to six percent to fight off a recession. Mm-hmm. So if if the if a five year fixed mortgage right now is at three percent, basically it is right, right under you, and we need a three to six percent cut to fight off any next recession that comes our way. Well, that's Wait, just we, that's even a five-year ne- mortgage. We go to negative rate. three. We, we need to, you're, you. You got to talk about the overnight rate, which no, is, no, which is below three already, right? So yeah, agreed, agreed. It just means it's it's just crazy. And one other thing, we do need you to write that patio book that I've been bugging you about because Nick is an expert on patios. And one of my personal favorite patios is this one patio in an area of Barella, Croatia, and it's called the restaurant's called Punta Rata, right? Yeah, Punta Rata, and it's the best patio that I've ever sat at, just because it has the you, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. It's very nice, but you're missing out. Is it, is out. it your number one? No, no, It's no, my no, personal no. number one. No, no, I know, I know you have more experience with might patios. Not, I might, will default. Might not be top 10. I will de- Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's great. It's phenomenal. I love it. But like these one, patio, there's so many one-off walk, places. The reason I like that patio is because you're on the beach and literally what, Nick? Maybe 100 feet? Not even? Yeah, there's some like stunning ones. Porta Vallarta, one sticking out on the cliff. Porta Vallarta? Oh, oh, yeah, one sticking out over, over the cliff on, on the water. It's like astonishing. Santorini. One up okay, high Santorini, on the thing. I could maybe believe. Yeah, yeah. There's, Port there's of Oh yeah, this one is. I forget, I think it was like called like Le Cliff or something. Really? It's astonishing because it's right where the sunset is. I like going from hut. my beach spot to this patio. Yeah, in my so that you can't do with that a tablecloth with can't, professional waiter serving wine. That you can't do. That yeah. you can't. So there's different ones. It depends if it's like daytime for lunch for that. Oh. And then if we have a different category for like you know dinner okay. ones we that are like different categories. level. Yeah, I might have to categorize. I nominate Punta Rata number one. Okay, I nominated number one for beach. For that is pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the, for that is pretty good. There's not much to be. Then it's then it's right up there. But some of those other ones in like the right time of day is like stunning. Yeah, got it. 
Yeah, so if you if you see Nick, tell him to write the book. We want the patio book. Enjoy the summer, everyone. Hey, everyone, it's Tom Crowds again, so hopefully you enjoyed that chat. Um, I really want Nick to create this uh, Patios of the World book, so if you see Nick, make sure you uh, let him know. And I will put out on Twitter um, that I am a link to that IMF report that I was discussing on this episode of the podcast. My Twitter handle is just at Tom Karadza on Twitter. And if you want access to some of the reports and some of the data points that we were discussing on this, you can always get those on this podcast. Um, you can get those at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. Hopefully you're enjoying the weather. I think I almost passed away today because I was running in the middle of the day doing a CrossFit style workout and uh, that was a little too hot to actually do the workout, but somehow I survived and I'm here. So hopefully you're enjoying the weather we are and that's it. Please be living life on your terms. It's one life. We might as well live it on, on your terms. I stumbled through that. I'll end off with your life, your terms. 